0: I'm looking forward to talking to the experience maker as he's known, his name is Dan Gingis, and he has been uh, in the industry for 20 some years, has worked at McDonald's, Discover, Humana and a couple other companies. Welcome Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, very excited
1: to be here and
0: looking forward to the conversation. So I wanna jump right in and ask you, how did you get to the doorstep of uh, creating remarkable customer experiences?
1: Well, I started, as you mentioned, uh, in corporate America, spending 20 years mostly as a marketer. And uh, I like to joke today that if I never have to create another marketing campaign, it'll be too soon. uh, Because I discovered that creating remarkable experiences was just better marketing. It It gets customers to speak on our behalf, to write positive reviews, to tell their friends, give us referrals. And that is so much more credible and powerful than any marketing that a brand can put together. So I like to say I live at the intersection of CX and marketing, and it's a pretty fun place to be.
0: And what uh, happened throughout your career that actually brought you to this? Because as you said, you were doing traditional marketing stuff, and then you realize, hey, this is just so much better. So are there some pivotal moments or aha uh, events that uh, you know brought you to this level of uh, you know belief and understanding?
1: Yeah, there were really uh, two things that happened, uh, both at, at Discover. My last role at Discover, the last three years I was there out of about 10, I was the head of digital customer experience and social media. Now, what's funny about that title is that prior to having that role, I had never had a role in digital customer experience or in social media. So in being recruited to that role by the chief digital officer, he took me out to lunch and I said, listen, man, I'm really honored, but you got to help me out here. I have no idea why you just selected me for this role. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, the reason I want you in this role is because I've noticed that in every business meeting, you're wearing the customer hat you are always trying to solve business problems through the lens of the customer. And this is back in, you know, 2013. He's like, I I think we're going to need to do that in digital. And I want you to come do that with me. And i mind blown, right? He figured something out about me that I didn't know about myself. But as soon as he said it, I was like, yeah, you're right. That is kind of how I think about business problems. And so I got into that role and I started realizing the, Really the power that I felt when I could make these little changes on the website and have huge impact. You know, I could reduce customer phone calls by the thousands just by making something easier to find on the homepage. Like, really? You know, amazing just, you know, improvements to the user experience and the customer experience. We saw customer satisfaction go up. Um, we won the JD Power award for the first time while I was running the website. So it just—I was sold. I was absolutely hooked. Uh, I also loved what I was doing. Now the second piece was that the same boss also encouraged me to get out and start speaking at conferences, which I had never done before. And he said, "I want you to, you know, wear your Discover logo, you know, loud and proud, and go out and and." Show the world what we're doing here, and I remember having to beg my way onto my first stage in a big panel of people, and you know, please just include me. And they, okay, fine. And then after a while, they would ask me to be on panels, and then I had to beg my way onto my first, you know, solo presentation. And then after a while, they would ask me to do solo presentations. And so, fast forward to 2019, when I finally decided to start my own business. Here I am, I'm a a customer experience keynote speaker. I've actually been speaking for eight years as of 2019. I just was doing it as part of my job. Mm. And now I do it because it's what I absolutely love to do. And it is my job. Uh, So that role, I think, really shaped who I am, who I became, and really the passion that I have for, for both customer experience and frankly, for speaking too. Interesting. I hope you're still talking to this uh, ex boss of yours. <laughs> I am. I am. He's a good guy. And uh, I, I definitely appreciate him.
0: So once you had this revelation, I'm wondering if you would kind of go back in time and kind of dissect what made you always kind of speak on the customer's behalf. I mean, do you know what was inside of you driving you know what maybe even though you didn't know at the time until, you know, your boss gave this revelation, If you kind of go
1: back and say, Hey, you know, this is why I always did this. You know, it's interesting, I've, I've told that story a couple of times. No one's ever asked me that follow-up question. I think that is a really, really good question. I would say that a lot of, I think a lot of customer experience comes from some of the stuff that we learned in kindergarten you know treat other people like you want to be treated and and you know be nice to others and all that sort of thing so I think a lot of it kind of is inherent and it just is kind of how you were brought up and the values that you place on how you treat other people I remember my first job out of college I was in the uh, product marketing area and I ran a, a bunch of product lines for a collectibles company um plates, dolls, figurines, that sort of thing. And right around Christmas time, a phone call got to my desk. I have no idea how. It was supposed to go to customer service, but it came to me. And it was this distraught grandmother who was all upset because she had ordered a product. It wasn't there. December 23rd, Christmas was going to be ruined for her granddaughter. And I didn't have access to her account. I wasn't in customer service. I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of did what came naturally to me. I said, all right, ma'am, let me take down your name and your information and the product. And here's what I'm gonna promise you. Christmas is not gonna be ruined on my account. And she said, thank you so much, you're the best, goodbye. And so I hung up the phone, I walked over to our warehouse I grabbed one of the items she was looking for off the shelf, I brought it over to the packaging area and I carefully packaged it up with the peanuts and all this, sealed it. I personally brought it over to the FedEx station and made sure the label was printed for overnight delivery on February 24th, and I shipped it out. Now, no one told me to do that. No one told me not to do it. I don't know whether I broke any company rules. I have no idea. I just did what I felt was the right thing to do for that customer. And so, I think once I grew up in, in corporate America and started getting into you know bigger meetings that, that impacted more than just one little old lady customer I still I still felt the same way which was you know I don't want to take advantage of people I understand that we need to make money but can we make money and still treat our customers well as can we do both and those were the kinds of ways that I was thinking um, and luckily Discover was a company that that really believed in that. That that felt like you don't just make money on the backs of your customer. You you create a great experience for them. You you make you know, you want them to be loyal and to come back for more and to tell their friends. And so, of course, we're a profit-making company, but we don't do it at the expense of our customers. Um, so that's kind of where I think it grew in me, and uh, and it's still how I look at problems today. I, I think that you can both make lots of money and provide amazing customer experiences at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are there certain um,
0: core attributes or characteristics that you think people need to be able to really create? Uh, we're not talking about just customer experience, we're talking about remarkable customer experiences, right? So well, there's certain, you know, you've seen certain patterns or core traits that you think if people have this, chances are they're going to be really good at creating remarkable customer experiences.
1: Well, I mean, there's some obvious ones like empathy and wanting to solve problems and um, you know, being a good listener and that sort of thing. But the one to me that really stands out is just the power of observation, and I think actually, interestingly, Discover taught me this too, but for a completely different reason. You see, in the US, at least when I was there, it's, a, it's better now. Discover wasn't always accepted at every restaurant or every retailer, some, some companies just didn't take it. They took Visa, MasterCard, and sometimes Amex, but not Discover. And so I sort of trained myself before I walked into a restaurant or a store to look at the front door and look at those stickers on the on the window to see whether they accepted Discover or not cuz I didn't want to pull out the card and have them tell me they didn't ex, you know accept it and every once in a while I was known you know if there was a restaurant next door that did take Discover I'd go to the restaurant next door. Well I think that power of observation over time, extended to I now just pay more attention to the experiences that I have as a consumer. I look at signs. I read every sign. I look at every mailing and every legal disclaimer. Um, I pay attention to what employees are wearing and to whether they're smiling and to whether they look cleanly. And, you know, I look at presentation of products or food or whatever it is. I'm just more observant. And when you observe, you see like a lot and a funny story. I I went out to lunch with a, a buddy before the pandemic and we both, we sat down in this booth and he's like, so tell me about this customer experience stuff. Like what exactly is it you do? And I said, let me give you an example. When we sat down at this booth, did you notice that the wall over on this side was filthy? And he's, his head goes you know, like turns immediately. He's like, no, I didn't see that at all. I was like, yeah, that was the first thing I noticed. I almost didn't sit down at this booth because I didn't want to sit down at a dirty booth. But why is it that so many people don't notice that the, the booth is dirty? I have no idea. I notice it. And so I think that's a core skill. Um, the way to employ this at any business is become a customer of your own business and go through the process. You know, set up a, a web login, a website login, and then do me a favor, forget your password and go through that terrible process because that's an awful process almost anywhere. <laughs> um, do the things you're asking customers to do. And if they annoy you, then stop doing them for your customers. You know, when I ran the website at at Discover and Humana, you know, we were putting pop-up ads in front of people. I was, I hate pop-up ads. Why would we ever do that to someone? And the marketers would say, well, because they have a 6% conversion rate. I'm like, great, 94% of customers are pissed off at us now because because we bothered them. That's not worth it. And that only just comes from being a consumer, and frankly, not liking pop-up ads myself. So I don't think this stuff is rocket science. I think with being more observant, you can really figure out, you know, not only what you like as a customer and do more of that for your customers, but also what you don't like, and and then then it gets back to that golden rule of do unto others as you'd have them do unto you yeah yeah I agree,
0: so I'm curious, why are consumers these days buying experiences versus just products? Do you think they're actually becoming more observant, even though they may be not in their roles as uh, at work, but maybe are consumers becoming more observant?
1: yeah, I think so, and I believe that um I believe that the younger generations pushed this forward a little faster. I think millennials started it and and then and Gen Z has really picked it up. But also millennials impacted the Gen Xers like me. We're like, wait a minute, we like these experiences too. we like some of this. And I think today's consumer wants to have a relationship with the companies that they spend their hard-earned dollars at. And I don't think that's a lot to ask. They just, they want, a, and a relationship is two ways. So they want to feel appreciated. They want to feel like, that not only are they loyal to the company, but the company's loyal to them. They want to know that the company's going to be there for them when they have a question or a complaint or or a problem. Um, or or heck, when there's a pandemic and they really need something. They want to know that the, 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 that relationship is going to be strong. It's kind of an emotional tie that I don't think uh, was a requirement in our parents' generation. It just wasn't how we thought of engaging. Even as a youngster, me, you know, I used to be a letter writer. And you know, if I wanted to talk to a company, I would write them a letter. There was no social media. You didn't, you didn't call customer service to, to give them a compliment. And so you'd write a letter. Today, it's so much easier to have a relationship with a brand. And the question is, does the brand want to have a relationship back with their own customers? So what are three misunderstandings or misperceptions
0: uh, many companies have when it comes to creating remarkable customer experiences?
1: Well, um, what are three misconceptions? Well, I think first of all is uh, the inverse of what I said before is that too many executives are not customers of their own company, or even worse, they're VIP customers. This happens all the time, where if the CEO has a customer service question, they pick up the red phone on the desk and they get to go right to a supervisor. Why would you ever do that? then you have no idea how normal customers are treated. So that I think is, is a big issue. Um, I think that too many companies are competing on either price or product. And, and today, competing on price has become a loser's game. You just have to go ask the gas station that has the you know their competitor across the street. Uh, they can't keep bringing down the price of gas by a penny or they're gonna give it away for free. And competing on product or service has become almost impossible because everything's copyable. You think about one of the most influential and innovative brands of our generation, Uber, completely upended in industry. And now today you get into a car and you can't tell the difference between an Uber or a Lyft and chances are it's both because the driver's working for both companies. So now there's no product differentiation. That's difficult. If that can happen in a in one of the most innovative companies in the world, it can certainly happen to your company viewer or listener uh, and so I think that's a mistake is is trying to compete on product or um, or on price when really the way that the, the battleground should be on experience because it's the last true differentiator and the best part is is no two companies provide the same experience so it is something you can compete on and be better at um, And I think the third one, the third misconception is that customer experience uh, is often looked at as soft and squishy. It's not looked at as a hard science. I I think of like the sciences in college, right? You know, chemistry, biology, those are the hard sciences. Sociology, psychology, those are the soft sciences. And I think customer experience erroneously gets put into the soft space when it has a direct impact on the bottom line. And we, study after study after study has shown that not only do customers want companies with a great experience, so you, so you can increase the number of customers you have, that's, that's great, that's more revenue. Those customers spend more, stay longer, and refer friends. Those are all revenue generators. And when you provide a great experience, you reduce your customer service costs because why do we call customer service when some when we have a bad experience? So now you've also increased, you've decreased the cost side of the profit equation. So customer experience is not a soft skill. It is an absolute critical piece to business success. Every company should have a C-level executive in charge of it. It's that important. It's not one of these things that we just sort of say we should do because it's the right thing to do.
0: That kind of takes me back to your story about helping the woman at Christmas. How much of customer experience is really also
1: about employee empowerment? It's, there's a huge connection here. And especially during COVID, we've seen the light shine even brighter on both employee experience and customer experience. We've all walked into a fast food restaurant and we've encountered the person behind the counter that looks like you're interrupting their otherwise pleasant day by wanting to place an order, right? And they're grumpy or they just have a frown on their face. And it's like you haven't even smelled your food yet. And the experience is already substandard, right? Versus... You know, I walk into my Starbucks every morning, and they say, "Hey, Dan, you know, would you like the same drink as, as always?" And it's like, "Wow, that's an experience." You know, I feel great before I can even smell my coffee, and so I do think that they're, um, I do think that, that empowered employees. I mean, the reason why customer experience is an ultimate differentiator is it's delivered by your employees and only you have your employees, unless you're Uber and Lyft, in which case you share. But for the most part, you have unique employees. And so therefore your employees can deliver a unique experience. We just have to teach them how to do it, what a good experience looks like, because many people haven't had a great experience with a brand or with an employer. And we have to give them enough rope to to do something, to act, to be empowered. You know, one of my favorite stories from my recent book, The Experience Maker, comes from Chewy, which is a pet supplies company. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of a woman who left a negative review for some cat litter on Chewy's website. Now, this isn't Chewy's cat litter, and they just sell the product. And she left a negative review because she determined that this was not appropriate litter for her long-haired cat, and she wanted to warn other long-haired cat owners that they probably want to find a different litter. That's it. She's done. She's not unhappy with Chewy. The next day, she gets an email from Chewy. It says, Dear Mariangel, we are sorry that you were disappointed with the litter. We've gone ahead and refunded your money. Now, she never asked for a refund. The email goes on to say, we took it upon ourselves to find four other litters that we think might be better for your long-haired cat. Here's links to all of them. Please give our love to Roma, the email says. They know the name of Marianne Hell's cat. (laughs) And they tell her that they have a furry wall of fame in their office. And if she'd send a picture, they'd love to put Roma up on it. I'm not joking. The end of the email says, many whiskers. That's how it's signed. Many whiskers, Stephanie H. Now, do we think that Marianne Hell is going to be more or less loyal to Chewy after having a bad experience with litter that she bought from Chewy? She loves this company even more than she did before she had this. And the best part about this story, what I love so much about it is I am 99% sure, I haven't talked to anyone at Chewy, but I'm 99% sure that this email is actually a template. In other words, it's scalable. Dear so-and-so, we're sorry you didn't like such-and-such, we've given you a refund. Here's four other examples of such-and-such that you might wanna buy. Say hello to so-and-so, we'll put her up on the furry Wall of Fame, Many Whiskers, Stephanie H. Just like that, one of the most personalized emails I've ever seen come out of a company, and I'm pretty sure it's a template. And so that means every company can do this. If we just take the time to get to know our customers, understand what they're going through. You know, how many times have you left a review on a site and had a company say anything to you? positive or negative, let alone come out and say, we're going to give you a refund because we we didn't like that you had a bad experience with this product. So that's the difference between companies that have literally endless loyalty with their customers and companies that are still struggling to get that. Mm
0: -hmm. I think this goes back to a couple of things we've already kind of talked about. One is I think you're talking about uh, engaging in an ongoing conversation with your customers. And part of the customer experience is actually... uh, gathering intelligence, observing, right? And having a feedback loop to bring back to the organization and engage in that conversation. And so how, do, how should companies really go about doing? Because there's so many ways to do this today, right? Uh, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, are there some recommendations and tips you have on that?
1: You make such a great point. I think too many companies are scared to talk to their customers. And I don't understand why. You know, we look at our customer service call center as a cost center. Why do we do that? Why would we ever not want to talk to our customers if they want to talk to us? Like, they're the ones that keep the lights on. They're the ones that pay our salaries without customers. We don't have a company. If they want to talk to us, we should stop what we're doing and want to talk to them, right? And most of the time, they want to talk to us if they're calling customer service because they want to tell us that the experience that they thought they were getting from us isn't what they got. And they're disappointed. Maybe we promised them one price and we charged them another. Maybe we said they would get their product in a week and they it took three weeks. Maybe uh, they can't get they can't log on to the website and they don't know how to reset their password, and they're frustrated. Whenever I listen to calls that come into context, I was like, listen to the calls, and I hear the emotions behind the callers. What I realize is, people just want to be able to do business easily and smoothly. And when they don't, it's difficult, It's we don't want, no one likes a pain in the neck, right? And so, also I think that today's customers, because they're so engaged with the companies they do business with, they wanna give suggestions, they wanna give product ideas, they wanna tell you what you're doing well too. And by the way, that's just as important to listen to because if you're doing something that your customers love, do more of it, you know? Again, I don't think this is rocket science. So I say take every opportunity you can to talk to customers. Um, a couple of ways you can do that. Call listening is definitely one of them. I highly recommend that every company, at least on a monthly basis, listen to recorded calls from your contact center, read chat transcripts, pay, you know, read social media uh, customer service um, uh, engagements and actually try to get at What's the issue? Why are people calling us? They shouldn't have to call us. If the customer experience was perfect, they wouldn't call us. So what's wrong and how do we fix it? I think focus groups are a great idea uh, because you can get people to build on each other. Um, I also think just calling a customer. If you're a CEO, take a couple of minutes every week and call a customer and just say hi. You know, my dad was, a, was the CEO of, uh, of a smallish size business. And uh, it it was, it started in Chicago. It grew nationwide. It doesn't exist anymore. But he used to intentionally turn off the switchboard at the front of of the headquarters so that the phone calls to him would go right to him. And he'd pick up the phone. And people were shocked that the CEO was picking up the phone. But he's like, This was my best intelligence because I got to talk to real customers. No one else was filtering it for me. No one else was telling me what they thought I wanted to hear. I got to hear straight from Joe Average customer what was either good or bad. And he learned so much from that. And I think, again, if if every company kind of took that approach, when's the last time you actually spoke using words to a customer? How long has it been? You gotta go out and do that. You know, there's a great story in, um, in, uh, in uh, Howard, one of Howard Schultz's books, uh, The Founder of Starbucks. And he talks about how he spent all this time in the Starbucks stores and he, you know, put on the hat and glasses so nobody would recognize him, but he just wanted to observe. And this is early days on Starbucks and, and your, your audience may or may not know that the original Starbucks was based off of Italian cafes. Um, Schultz and some others fell in love with Italy and the Italian cafe atmosphere. And so they had some policies at Starbucks that were based on Italian cafes. Now, one of them was that Italians apparently, I don't know if this is true, if you're Italian and you're watching this is wrong, I apologize, but this is what I read in the book, is that Italians tend to frown on certain uh, additions to coffee, including skim milk. This is is just a no-no, right? We're gonna use the heavy cream or we're using nothing. So Howard Schultz is in one of his Starbucks and he watches a woman walk into the store, clearly having just worked out, she's in workout clothes. She orders a coffee with skim milk and she's told that they don't have skim milk. And she turns around and walks out. And the next day he puts out a memo to all the stores saying we're now putting skim milk in all of our stores. If Howard Schultz can do that, I would think that almost any executive at any company could do that, right? It's again power of observation and being willing to talk to and listen to customers, um, and that's all he did. Is he just he he didn't really talk to her directly, but he listened to her, and she wanted something, and and they didn't have it, and he and he didn't want to lose another customer off of that. So what do you say to
0: those companies that say, "Hey, you know, Dan, we're doing surveys, and uh, you know that's our way of getting intelligence, feedback, and talking to the consumer," and uh, but I've I've been reading that a lot of you know people are not responding to surveys these days. So what, what do you think about that as the feedback loop or getting uh, a conversation with a customer?
1: I think surveys can be very powerful. Uh, one of my uh, favorite and best clients is a major survey company. Um, I think that they absolutely have a place. They just can't be the only form of feedback. And, uh, you know, I think also surveys, too often on surveys, we depend on the numerical score. So we want the quantitative feedback, the things like NPS score or customer satisfaction score. We want a number that we can attach. And that's okay because it tells you how you're doing. The problem is it doesn't tell you why. So take something like NPS, right? I've watched this countless times in businesses. Every month that NPS goes up, we all cheer, we all uh, go out for beers afterwards and high five. Every Every month that NPS goes down, we blame the weather or COVID or some unknown force that is causing our NPS score to go down. The truth is we have no idea why it's going up or down. And so in addition to a quantitative survey that gives you scores, you've gotta get that qualitative feedback, which can be done in a survey as well where you ask for open-ended questions. And, you, and that's where to me, that's where the important stuff is. Because that's when you start to see the trends and the commonalities among your feedback. And you know, at some point if people keep telling you your mobile app is difficult to use, No matter what your programmers say, it's time to go back and reprogram the the mobile app, right? Because your customers are telling you it's not working the way they expect it to. And sometimes we have to have thick skin and just be willing to say, oh, well, we thought it was a good app, but maybe it isn't. And let's try and do better next time. Um, But it's this fear of, as I said before, I think too many companies don't want to hear from customers because they're afraid of what they're going to say. And what I say is, first of all, I think you might be surprised because you're going to get a lot of positivity back as well. But secondly, I always advise clients, don't be afraid of complaints because people who complain, they do so because they care. They they want you to fix it for them so they can keep being your customer. If we ignore complaints, then what happens is customers say, well, this company doesn't care about me. I'm going to go to a company that does. And the reality today in almost every business is switching costs have gotten down to almost nothing. Whether you're switching cable providers or cell phone providers or dentists, it's not hard to pick up your business and move somewhere else. And so that makes all of this even more important. Yeah, I agree. I think
0: I often tell customers and clients that uh, when someone's complaining, that's your opportunity to turn them into a super fan uh, of yours and uh, not be thinking, Oh my God, they don't like my product or service. They're actually trying to give you feedback to improve. Cause they, they're kind of rooting for you if you think about it, right?
1: Exactly. And, and look, there's a lot of psychology behind that, right? We don't want to admit we made a mistake when we chose our cell phone provider, right? We, we thought we were making the right decision and we want to, darn it. We want to, <laughs> we want to pat ourselves on the back for a great, for a great decision. Um, but mostly is we don't want to switch because even if the switching costs are low, the perception is, oh, this is going to be a pain in the neck. I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with this. And so we just want our problem resolved. Yeah. And so it's two things. One, resolve the problem for that one customer. Two, mark it down on some sheet so that if other customers are complaining about the same thing, you go to the underlying problem and solve that. And now you have one less reason why customers have to call and complain to you. Um, and so, you know again i am a maybe it's just the optimist in me maybe i'm naive but i feel like every company should want to do right by their customers should want to have the best product and service out there and should want to fix problems that customers identify for them um i get that sometimes there are customers that are overly demanding i get that sometimes there are customers that are frankly rude or um or filled with hate or other things, where I absolutely give companies a pass if you want to ignore those people. Um, but most customers aren't, and most customers, even when they're complaining, it's coming from the right place, which, as you say, is you know fix it for me so I can become your advocate.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we're talking about
0: uh, you know experience. So what's the difference between creating a good customer experience versus creating experience that people? can't wait to share, because you're talking about creating extremely good or, uh, you know, remarkable experiences. Tell me,
1: what's the difference between the two? And how do you get there? Sure. Well, and remarkable is an intentional word, because it means literally worthy of remark, worthy of talking about. Uh, and so in my new book, I, I have five steps that, I ha- that I've outlined for creating the types of experiences. You know, when you have an experience and You can't help yourself, you're not even thinking about it, you just reach into your pocket or your purse, you grab your phone, you take a picture of what's going on because you just have to share it with someone. Those are the kinds of experiences that I help companies create because when that happens, you have just created word of mouth marketing and you haven't asked for it. You don't have to ask for it. In fact, when you ask for it, it usually doesn't happen. As a friend of mine likes to say, if you have to tell someone it's a selfie spot, it probably isn't a selfie spot because selfies are spontaneous. We don't want to be told to take a selfie. So the five steps uh, form the acronym Wiser, and that stands for witty, immersive, shareable, extraordinary, and responsive. And when we do these four, first four things, which spell out wise, those are the that's how we create the experiences that people want to talk about. The R then is about becoming wiser and that's being responsive, which is what we've been talking about, which is engaging with people when they come out and they will come out and compliment your brand as well when they have a great experience. Customers are actually much more willing. I just read a second study today. I quoted one in the book. In the book, I read a second one that came out. Customers are much more willing to share positive experiences than negative experiences. So why when we look at Twitter and Facebook do we see so many negative experiences? Because two thirds of customers cannot remember the last time a brand exceeded their expectations. Think about that. Two thirds of customers can't remember when they had a great experience with any brand. So think about how much opportunity there is to be that company that creates the experience that's remarkable. And let me just hone in on one piece of of Wiser for a moment, which is the extraordinary part. And this is kind of what you're getting at, is extraordinary simply means a little bit better than ordinary. Mm -hmm. So we know that customers like to share positive experiences. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that they also like to share negative experiences. What they don't share are average experiences. Because what's the point of sharing? Hey, let me tell you about the perfectly ordinary restaurant I went to last night. No one's ever said that. So the problem is is that most experiences that we have are ordinary, they're average, they're plain, they're meh, as the millennials like to say. So all we have to do is be a little bit better than that and we go from ordinary to extraordinary. And the good news is this doesn't have to cost a lot of money, this doesn't have to be operationally complex. This just means thinking a little bit differently. And in fact, the best way to do it is look how your competitor's doing it. Because <laughs> like if you're in the banking industry, right? Almost every bank does everything the same way. Why? Be the bank that does something different and you're gonna stand out in an extraordinary way. Um, also, I always recommend to people that if you want inspiration, Do not look at your direct competitors. If you're a bank, the last place you're gonna find inspiration is another bank. Go look at Disney World, go look at Starbucks, go look at Amazon, go look at amazing companies that everybody loves and ask yourself, what are they doing that we can employ at our company? One of my favorite examples that I just, I wish I I would have found before I wrote the book Mm -hmm. is that there are now people that are going down to Universal Studios in Florida and they are standing in line in Harry Potter world in 45 minutes to hour long lines to go on the ride. except for one little thing. They don't actually want to go on the ride. They just want to wait in line because Universal has made waiting on li- in line so much fun. You wander through Hogwarts castle, you get to see all of these characters, you get to see the, the uh, picture frames on the wall are moving like they are in the movie. The line, is the experience. <laughs> and so people spend 45 minutes in line and then ditch the ride. I mean, are you kidding me? But now let's pull that back and say, okay, you don't work for Universal Studios and maybe your product isn't as cool as Harry Potter World. But I'll bet there's a point in your experience where you make customers wait. Maybe they're waiting on, on hold on, on the phone. Maybe they're waiting for a, a decision. You know, you have applied for a credit card and I'm waiting for the decision to come, which could come digitally or come, come in the mail. Maybe there's all these places where we make customers wait. What if we made waiting into an experience? What would that look like at a bank? You know, and those are the kinds of questions that just get me really jazzed up because I think a bank, no, they're not going to, it's not going to be the same as Harry Potter world. But absolutely, a bank could make waiting more fun than it is today because it's not fun at all.
0: Yeah. I think what I'm hearing you really say is you should try to evoke an emotion. Is that correct?
1: For sure. And I think emotions and senses are really important. So emotions and or go for something that smells good, tastes good, looks good, feels good, or sounds good. (laughs) Those are all things that are all, those are all great ways to impact the experience. What impact has COVID had on creating remarkable customer experiences? Well, COVID has in some ways, uh, and I try to be the optimist, so the positive I've taken out of COVID is that it has given a lot more attention to customer experience and employee experience. And I think that can only be a good thing. Uh, Early on in COVID, we were all getting the same email from every company that had our email address that said, we are enhancing our cleaning procedures. It was always the word enhance. I have no idea why they all use the same word. (laughs) And, if you need more information about this virus, go to the CDC's website. I must've gotten 80 of those emails, including from companies that I had no idea had my email address. Then I got an email from Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab didn't mention the CDC and didn't mention the cleaning procedures at all. They said, Dan, we know you must be really nervous about a volatile stock market. So we wanna share all of these tools and resources we have with you to help you through this tumultuous time. By the way, if you need to speak to somebody, we're here to help guide you through a very difficult time. Wow. Like, talk about giving me exactly what I needed at exactly the time I needed it when everybody else was telling me about their cleaning procedures. Do it, do am I more or less loyal to Schwab today, right? So I think that COVID has made things, obviously has made things more difficult, but it's also provided new opportunities. And and to me, what I know about Charles Schwab right now is that no matter how bad things get, they're there for me. They're a company that is going to be there for me. Whereas so many other companies, all I know is about their cleaning procedures. I don't know anything else, right? And so my, that is going to affect my thinking as I live the rest of my life and decide what brands I want to do business with. And that's why this stuff is really important is when you have an experience that is, that is so profound, you don't ever forget it. And that's why there are so many brands that we have used our entire lives, right? Coke or Pepsi, McDonald's or Burger King, What you choose, it's like you can't ever move back, right? Um, And I, when I was in the credit card industry, I learned that, that the vast majority of students get the, their first credit card that they choose is based on the credit card their parents have. So there's actually multi-generational loyalty. So now think about how important it is to get someone to have your credit card when you know even your kids are going to come along and follow them, and you're going to have multiple generations of loyalty. This stuff is really, really impactful.
0: You know, it's interesting, uh, it made me think of this uh, in our conversation here, is that as you do these experiences, remarkable experiences, what you're also doing is laying the foundation of trust in a relationship between the brand and the customer. And that is something that, once established, is hard to break unless you break that trust. Isn't that what you're really saying?
1: Fantastic point. That's another huge element to... To um, loyalty is trust, and uh, and I think you know we think about that from. Oftentimes, we think about that in terms of privacy, in terms of data security, in terms of financial security, but it can also come in lots of other things, right? It can come that we, you know, whenever we go to a restaurant, you know, we trust that they're serving us. You know that the people in the back that we can't see you know have clean hands and are you know using fresh ingredients and you know all that sort of stuff. there is an inherent amount of trust that's built in, um, but you're right that's a key, just like any relationship, just like a personal relationship. Trust is so important. It's also very important in relationships with companies.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do you see then in the future with remarkable experiences in a world of augmented
1: reality? So augmented reality. I think it's super cool. I got to use it um, last year, I did a lot of work on my house as a lot of people have done during COVID. And so it's the first time I really used it as a consumer, where I wasn't just playing around or testing something out. And so I got, um, I did, uh, got some new uh, wood floors. I also got new carpeting, and I got new paint. And on all of those, I used apps that allowed me to play around with. Oh, what if I use this color paint with this color floor? And what if I put the rug here and the rug? And it was fascinating for me. I- spent way too many hours playing around <laughs> with like well how is this actually going to look and it's not like you know one of them was a, a I was buying rugs because I since I had now these uh, these wood floors I had to put some rugs down and I go to this rug company and you know they can give me a picture of somebody else's house and what the rug looks like but what's amazing is when I upload a picture of my house and I can see the rug looks like right in my living room that is really powerful, and so I think that's a new kind of experience. It's an evolving technology. I think you'll see a lot more of it, um, and it's a great way to kind of get customers in and feel like they're, you know, engaged and they're part of the buying process, and um, uh, and and also that it's you know because it because you don't see it as often, it's still a differentiator. Um, this is happening in the medical field, too. I, I have one of my big clients is in the dental industry. And, you know, there are, there are um, 3D cameras now in dental offices that allow you a 360 view of your teeth. And the ones that are really getting it are understanding that, hey, you know who loves technology? Teenagers. So you go to the orthodontist now and you get to see a rotating 360 view of your entire mouth. And they're like, this is cool, right? And who thought going to the orthodontist was cool? But this technology is cool. And I think that's one of the things I always recommend is don't just use the technology, but get your customers to embrace it too because they're everybody loves new technology most people love new technology and to experience new things. And so it's a great way to get customers more engaged. Yeah. I, agree. More engaged.
0: I actually just experienced this recently with my dentist, give me a 360 view of my entire uh, mouth. And I, I actually said, it's cool. And I think uh, that's what we're talking about. It's not just the use of technology for technology, but actually creating the experience where actually it's related to what you're doing. And it makes people say, Hey, this is really cool. And it's taken the whole experience to another level.
1: It has. And if you just, if we can move the, the the dentist story forward for one more second, one of the things, and I've written about this, it, it's interesting about the dentist is I kind of call this a blind experience in that if the dentist tells you that you have a cavity or that you need a, a a crown, you kind of just have to believe them, right? I mean, we're not dentists. We don't know. So we just, again, the trust thing, right? We We trust. Or if you go to a, if you're not a car person and you go to the mechanic and they say you need new brakes, like Okay, I'm trusting that I need new brakes. I kind of have to believe you. But with the 360 camera, now they can actually show you something. And it's not just like on the x-ray, you know. You see that little kind of gray spot near the white spot. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, that's a cavity. But now with the technology today, you can see it. And it's like, right. oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. You know, so and I think that's great too, because it it um it it keeps that trust, right? And it and it also gives a certain comfort level because nobody wants to get taken advantage of. Um and and everybody's heard stories about, you know, Particularly auto mechanics, unfortunately, sometimes, uh, and also dentists, I think, uh, where people walk out feeling like they were taken advantage of. And I think this is a great way with the technology to help prevent that feeling. Yep, absolutely. So, in the world of uh, customer experiences,
0: is there anyone you'd love to have lunch with and why?
1: Uh, You know, one of the guys I am just super psyched about right now, and I did a case study of him in my book, is Jesse Cole. Uh, Jesse is the owner of the minor league baseball team Savannah Bananas. And he has basically created an experience at the ballpark that has been described as a circus where a baseball game happens to break out. And he did this by basically taking a look at everything that happens at a baseball game and turning it on its side. And the result is incredible. The other thing that he does, you talked about empowering employees. Every employee down to the summer intern is encouraged to come up with new ideas for crazy things that they can do during games. And if as long as it's legal, he will try it. And some of the stuff works and some of the stuff doesn't work and that's okay. They don't mind if if there's a failure. But some of the best ideas, that they do at the park have come from summer interns just because they're a place where it's understood that anybody can have a great idea. Why isn't every company like that? <laughs> I mean, every company may not be as fun as a minor league baseball team, but you certainly could have an environment where, where all ideas are good ideas. So check out Jesse. What kind of results has he seen in attendance to his game now? Uh, when he started, he had when he bought the team, he had I think it was two season ticket holders, and he tells the story about how he tried to get a group of Boy Scouts to come, and they didn't want to come <laughs> because they thought it was going to be boring. Like a bunch of Boy Scouts not wanting to go to a baseball game, what the heck is wrong? And now he has sold out every game all season long. It's one of the hardest tickets to get, <laughs> and they're even they're even seeing increased attendance. On the road, when the Savannah Bananas goes to other stadiums, they're seeing increased attendance. So um, a remarkable turnaround. It was such a fascinating story. Um, and, you know, it just, I, what I love about him is he just wants to have fun and he wants his customers to have fun. And that's, that's such a great, pure place to start is, well, what if doing business with us was fun? Doesn't everybody want to have fun? And, and how do we do that? And I will argue just because you're a bank, just because you're a lawyer, just because you're an orthodontist, it doesn't mean you can't have fun. You know, my daughter comes back from the orthodontist and she's got, you know, the different color rubber bands on her teeth. You know, she's chosen all of the colors. That's fun. That wasn't a choice when I was a kid. That's a great example of instilling some fun into something that, you know, isn't really thought of as being fun. Um, Starbucks you go through the drive through line and if you have a dog in the car they ask you if you want a pup cup or sometimes called a puppuccino which is just a little cup filled with whipped cream that pretty much every dog loves and not only that but the, the woman or man at the drive through loves to watch your, your pup licking the, the <laughs> whipped cream because it's so cute so there's just like this bilateral great experience and connection moment just because they're willing to give away a little bit of free whipped cream these are
0: great, remarkable examples of creating a remarkable experience. But more than that, I think what you've shown is that it can really result in remarkable outcomes, right? Like for the the baseball team. I mean, I think that's really amazing. And I think that's Absolutely. a great story. And it's, it's not only yeah, helping them in their hometown, but also in the way games as well. So I think that's a great story. Well, Dan, I want to thank you very much for uh, this conversation. I really enjoyed it. and I learned a lot and uh, I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I uh, appreciate you having me. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.